Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News Today, where a lot of news is breaking out. Just a few minutes ago, the president of the United States, Joe Biden, announced that he has a framework for his big reconciliation spending deal. It's not $3.5 trillion. It's not $2.5 trillion. It's not even $2 trillion. It is whittled down somewhere in the vicinity of about one75 1.85 trillion, still a massive, massive amount of money. But you can see what I call the mansion effect. So many things are scaled back from it, and that is an important moment. But it's also important to read the tea leaves, right? Because the president, he actually didn't say he had the votes. He actually asked Democrats to please rally around this, okay? And that is a sign as a reporter that support from those on both polls of the Democratic Party, Manchin and Cinema, you know, on the moderate centrist side, Jay Powell and, and AOC and the squad on the far progressive side, that they're uncertain, right? They're in, but they're maybe not in. And listen to some of these comments. Instead of endorsing it, Jay Powell, you know, one of the most important far left progressives said, we want to see what's actually in the bill. In other words, we want to see the legislative text. And then assuming that we're fine with that, we'll vote both bills through at the same time. That is a very cautious response. That's not a two feet down endorsement. Likewise, Joe Manchin didn't outright endorse it either, said he wants to see what's in the bill. So I think it's going to come down to the language. But some of the big things that got, oh, and then Bernie Sanders says, oh, we got to improve this. That means make it more liberal, more expensive is what he's saying. But things that got bumped out in the deal that Biden announced, no extended paid family leave. That was something a lot of businesses were worried about. No free community college, no new regulations to lower the cost of prescription drugs. Now there are expansions of Medicare, including to hearing aids, there are expansions of other things that their universal pre-K is there. So there's still some pretty expensive items, more subsidies to reduce premiums in the Affordable Care Act. If they called it the Affordable Care Act, and it's not affordable because people need premium reductions, then maybe the law isn't working. That's something to ask yourself, right, when you think about it. And then there is a big, big, big amount of money for climate change, well over a half billion dollars for climate change. So a version 
of the Green New Deal is imposed in there. One of those is the creation of a thing called the Civilian Conservation Corps, the Peace Corps for climate change is the way I would refer to it. We've seen different elements of these over the years, and they often turn into slush funds and wasted money. Be very interesting to see the details on this and whether that is just a place to park Democratic activists and give them a government salary, or whether it really has some measurable impact in environmental and climate change progress, which everyone, I think, wants to see on there. Now, this announcement couldn't come out on a better day. Why? Because joining us today is Donald Trump, former President Trump's former EPA director, Andrew Wheeler, a real expert on the environment, a man who took a lot of demagoguery from the Democrats, but then got in the job and made some very measurable big gains, things that actually the uh, Obama EPA did not achieve, like a significant overhaul of drinking water regulations to get lead and other poisons, mercury and other things out of drinking waters because that harms our children, big reductions in emissions. And he did this while also reducing the amount of regulatory burden that companies and everyday Americans face. So he kind of proved that you can tighten up regulations and take some of the burdensome things away and show measurable progress, the sort of thing that we would call ROI, return on investment uh, on the environment. And under his watch, there were many signal changes to the positive, a doubling of cleaning up of Superfund sites. Those are the most toxic waste sites in America. They often infect and affect neighborhoods in America. The drinking water regulations were truly historic and significant. And then, you know, reductions in pollution, a reduction in greenhouse gases. Uh, you know, some people say, well, it was some of it was during the pandemic. Yeah, but some of it was occurring before the pandemic when the economy was roaring. Very important thing, gains in methane capture from natural gas producers. So much that actually occurred in, you know, two to three year period. And it doesn't get told the story. So as the Democrats today put their half trillion dollar climate change plan there. Just think about half trillion dollar minimum, maybe a lot more than that. Important thing is that there is another way of looking at the environment. It has a track record. It has policies. It has ideas. It has anecdotes. It has case studies. And Andrew Wheeler is going to give us that view today. It's a very important discussion we need to have in America. And uh, Andrew Wheeler is here to do that. So we'll take a quick commercial break. When we come back, the former EPA administrator under Donald Trump, Andrew Wheeler, is joining us. You don't want to miss that. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, first time on the show, and I'm really excited about this. He is the former administrator for the EPA and the current chairman of the Center for the Environment at America's First Policy Institute, where we get so many great experts on this show. We're so lucky. He is Andrew Wheeler. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on today. Oh, it's an honor. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, we've been covering climate change as journalists for 20 years, and there's this demagoguery that goes on that conservatives, when they do regulatory uh, change, when they tighten up the regulations, they're destroying the environment. But your tenure, I think, is one of the most demonstrable pieces of proof that you can reduce regulatory burden and make significant, not small, but significant gains in the environment. Now, how did you pull that off at EPA? And what are some of those big gains that the Trump administration under your leadership achieved? Well, thank you, John. I thank you for asking me that because that's something that, you know, the the corporate media rarely ever covers. And we certainly did. We, I, I believe we definitively proved for the first time ever that you can modernize and reduce, modernize regulations, reduce the regulatory burden, and improve the environment at the same time. And we proved it. Yeah. Under our watch, air pollution went down 7%. Wow. Water levels are the cleanest they've been in decades. And on Superfund program, for example, we cleaned up twice as many Superfund sites as the Obama-Biden administration did during their first four years. Twice as many Superfund wow. sites got cleaned. And at, at the same time, we, we enforced the laws. We actually, on the, on the criminal enforcement side, collected almost twice as much as the Obama-Biden administration did. And, and that's because, you know, if, if people are going to pollute and the laws are there, the regulations are there, we went after them. And that helped clean up the environment. But what was important is to reduce the regulatory burden. We did that by modernizing the regulations so we didn't cost jobs. When President Trump called me and asked me to take over at EPA, he said, I want you to continue to clean up the air continue to clean up the water, and help create jobs by reducing the regulatory burden. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing accomplishment, and, it, and it's done in a way where most people didn't feel any impact, which means feel any impact economically, because a lot of times regulations take a bite out of your wallet, yet the, the entire portfolio of the environment got better. Um, ben Carson is very proud of one of your achievements. He often talks about it, and that is updating the uh, water regulations specifically to address lead and copper, which in urban areas are, are a big issue, particularly. How did that come about, and how big a change is that for people that that uh, are in places where they, you know, the drinking water is in tight supply? Absolutely, and I, and I really like working with Ben Carson, and we um, worked on a joint um, enforcement action against the city of New York because for the public housing, they had lead paint in the public housing that they had not done anything about for decades. And we took a joint enforcement action. You know, you have Mayor de Blasio who is, you know, tout, goes around touting how green he is and, right. and you know, for, for the environment and everything. When, when pu people in public housing in New York City, their children were, you know, breathing lead particles. Uh, but the, the lead in the drinking water pipes, absolutely critical. And, that, you know, that is something that, you know, Flint, Michigan happened under yep. under President Obama. If that had happened during our administration, you know, that would have been front page news of all the newspapers and the, and the nightly news shows, at, you know, for months on end. But the Obama administration wasn't really blamed for it. And it happened under their watch and they let it continue. They knew about it months before they did anything. And they didn't change the regulations. 
They talked about it for several years, saying we're going to put forth a proposal on lead and copper pipes, and they never did anything. We went into office, and we not only proposed a regulation to deal with lead and copper pipes, but we finalized it last year. And this is one area where we added a regulation, but it was very important regulation. What, What we added was to test the drinking water in all schools and daycare centers. Because that is where, you know, children are the most susceptible to lead and and water. It lowers IQ points. The younger the child, the more susceptible they are to lead. And so we thought it was important to test for it in schools and daycare centers because that's where the children spend the majority of their time during the day drinking water. So that was a new regulation, Um, you know, and and it adds some burden. But I thought it was very important because that's a public health crisis that we have as far as the old lead pipes are concerned. The EPA turned 50 years old last year, and the most economical regulation we ever did was removing lead from gasoline in the 1970s. Yeah. You know, and one of the things I remember covering it when it happened, the common sense of it, it's funny, this this debate about lead and water been around, like you said, for most of the Obama administration because of Flint. And quite frankly, people knew long before that, that this was an issue in there. But the common sense of, you know, the fastest way to get to the bottom is, is just test the water. You would think that would have been something they would have done three, five, 10, 12 years ago. But the common sense part of it, I think that's what when people look back now, uh, one, Democrats who you know raised all sorts of alarm when you were about to come in, they were kind of quiet on the back end of this because they saw some of the progress that had occurred at EPA. But I think the environment, the, the debate has ha- often been along ideological lines. And I think when you look at your tenure, a lot of the people I talked to, and I cover a lot of environmental issues, been big on energy issues. There was a a sense that there was just common sense in all of the conversations. Hey, we do want to make progress, but we're going to do it in a way that an average American will say that makes sense. How do you get that culture into a bureaucracy that had a lot of ideology in it? Well, there certainly are career employees at the agency that have a lot of ideology and are certainly to the left of center. But the majority of the EPA employees go about their jobs and do what is asked of them. Yeah. But you know the, the hardest part in, is in dealing on the issue on the politics side is the outside advocates and the press. Yeah. You, you know, throughout That's the entire the time, I was accused of the dem- yeah, demagoguing the issue. I was accused of polluting the air. And then we, would, we put out the data saying air pollution went down 7%. They said, well, it's not because of anything that you did. Well, you know, they can't have it both ways. Yeah. You know, they, they said that I was polluting the air, and I wasn't because the air got cleaner. So, you know, they, they but they just can't give you credit for anything. But, you know, the, the press itself is just horribly biased on the environmental issues. You know, the, the, the best story that, that just exemplifies the, the press bias on this is a couple of years ago, we had a brand new program to get the um, dirty diesel school buses off the road and replace them with cleaner, more efficient school buses. Right. It was a new grant program. And I wanted to highlight that. So we had a press conference at EPA headquarters. We had one of the brand new school buses there. I had children's groups, teachers, um, principals, superintendents, all the associations representing them were present. We put out the notice for the press conference. I will say the Washington Post came and the AP, uh, but neither one of them, I don't think, did a story. We had a lot of trade press, but we didn't hear back from the New York Times. And so my press secretary called the environmental reporter for the New York Times and said, are you coming to our press conference this afternoon? And she said, quote, the New York Times is never going to write a positive news story about the Trump EPA, so I see no reason to come to your press conference. 
Wow. I mean, they, they don't even hide it. Oh, They're my that, God. They, That's uh, unbelievable. And, and this is getting trying to get out a story so that school districts would know to apply for the grant. We're trying to get the, you yeah, know. Yeah, it's a public service. Out, I mean, this is something that newspapers should be covering. Exactly. But they just flat out said, if it's positive coming out of your agency, we're not going to cover it. Wow. And, and I live with that every single day on the job. Yeah, that's that's, that's a jaw-dropping anecdote. Remarkable. Um, I want to uh, I want to ask you in a second about the Biden uh, climate agenda and the deal that, that may be in place or may not be in place right now. But before we do that, you had a tweet that uh, when I talk to the real experts, they say this is the single most important thing. We're, we're making a lot of gains in America, whether we're under a Republican, Democratic president. We continue to make gains against pollution. But China is just blowing up in pollution. You have, I think you tweeted this, uh, the, today or yesterday, there are companies that, uh, in China that emit more pollution than entire countries in the world. It, why does China not get into the conversation enough? And how do we wrestle that? Because if they're just spending our gains, right, they keep putting more pollution in, why we reduce it, uh, we're, you know, we're never going to get to the bottom of this. How do we wrestle the China question? You know, that's a great question, and I wish I, I knew the answer, but they're not, they're not held accountable yeah. for anything that they do. You know, you know on the on coal-fired power plants, for example, for years now, I think at least 20 years, um, probably longer than that, sometimes I forget how long I've been working on these issues, um, they, they put more mercury, more mercury is deposited in the United States from coal-fired power plants in China than was deposited here by our coal-fired power plants, because mercury goes up into the atmosphere and right. it can circle the globe. And so we were getting more mercury emissions here in the U.S. from Chinese coal-fired power plants. And China has never been held accountable on any of these treaties. You know, they weren't held accountable under Kyoto, and, they, right. and they're certainly right. not held accountable under the Paris Climate Accord. They, under the Paris Climate Accord, they can continue to increase their emissions as much as they want until 2030. And then in 2030, they're supposed to set a, a guideline for when they will, what they will reduce and in, 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 in what time frame. Now, they've made promises since then. They made some promises at, at Paris that we're going to increase our renewables, you know, 5%. And I think, um, you know, Special Envoy John Kerry feels like he got it or is getting another commitment from them to make future reductions. And that's the problem. Their promises and their obligations are always, oh, we will, you know, we'll reduce our emissions 10% in 20 years. And then they come back and they say, okay, we're going to reduce our emissions 30% in 20 years. But it's never today or tomorrow. It's yeah. always very far. Taking the can the down the road. It, it, it is. Um, it, and they keep building new coal-fired power plants. Um, they, they have on um, in plans. where they Right now they're building about 50 coal-fired power plants a year. They have plans for over 300 that are already in the works. Um, and all those are, you know, they don't build it to the same standards that we have here in the U.S., which is really important to remember. And what just frustrates me with, in particular, the, the Democrats' plans of, you know, increasing energy costs here, we're pushing jobs to other countries. We're pushing manufacturing jobs, chemical jobs to China and other countries, and they have far worse environmental standards than we do. So we are, you know, they're adding more to the global environmental problems um, you know, we, so we not only lose jobs here, but we gain worldwide pollution. 
Wow, that's just stunning. I uh, want to turn real quickly. There's a reported deal, although <laughs> Joe Manchin doesn't quite sound like he's on board yet, but President Biden is claiming he has a, a deal for the reconciliation package, $1.75 trillion, half billion dollars of climate regulations and spending. What does any version of the Biden plan do to the economy and to the environment? Oh, it's, it's going to be horrible for the, for the economy. Ab- absolutely horrible. You know, just to put it in perspective, because I have a hard time getting my hands around a trillion. One billion seconds is 31 years, and one trillion seconds is 31,000 years. <laughs> that you know, puts it just, in perspective. Doesn't it? Oh, yes. I, I mean, I, it's just hard to comprehend how much money they're talking about. I, I heard a number in the, I don't know if it's in the bill, to, or not, not really a bill yet, it's a framework, but it was in the legislation as of a week ago, giving EPA $5 billion to fight climate change. Uh, the EPA's annual budget is right around $8 billion. So it's, it's what is, I'm not great, um, I think it's about 70% of a budget increase for climate change. The problem is, you know, the EPA has very little statutory authority as far as climate is concerned. Now, we, the, the Trump administration, we put forward four regulations to deal with, with greenhouse gases. There's not a lot more that the agency can do, so that money is going to end up, I, I'm afraid, being a slush fund. You know, during, in, the, in 2009, Joe Biden was in charge of the implementation of the Recovery Act. And under that act, um, for the clean energy side, I, I believe the number is something um, like 30% of the companies that received money from the Recovery Act in 2009 went bankrupt within two years. Jeez. And over 50% of the companies were donors to the Obama-Biden. Yeah. Um, I, um, I broke the election. original Solyndra story back way back when, and oh, um, yeah, you and know that, exactly what that I'm became about. the epitome of you know it was really about rewarding donors, not about doing something that would make the world a better place. And um, crazy. So this framework that he released today, I mean, it has hundreds of billions of dollars for climate change, but you know, it's 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 um, creating a climate conservation core, sort of model yeah. after the Peace Corps here in the U.S. And it, to me, it sounds like a, just a slush fund to pay activists to go around the country and do who knows what. Yeah. There's certainly tax incentives for both um, EV, um, electric vehicles, and wind and solar. On the EV, I, I find it very disturbing that those tax incentives are weighted towards companies if they're union companies. So um, I, you know, I have nothing against unions, but I don't think there should be a separate, a separate tax um, break if if you're a union company, uh, you know that's that's meddling federal government meddling too much in how companies operate. But there's uh, on the wind and solar, and, and I um, recently wrote a paper on this. We don't know what we're going to do with the disposal of these windmills or solar panels, and the solar panels in particular have hazardous materials in them. So they are accelerating the deployment of solar panels. Windmills, and I'm, I'm all for um, renewable energy. I, I support windmills. I support solar energy. I support electric vehicles. Do with the waste that is generated. Every single energy source has positives and negatives, yep. and nobody ever looks at the negatives of renewable energy. And we have to, have, as a country, if we're going to push what what Joe Biden wants to do. I mean, he wants to have 50% electric vehicles by 2030. There's a study that my staff showed me at the agency. A majority of people, when they buy an electric vehicle, when they go to buy their next vehicle, they go back they to go a back regular gasoline-powered yeah. car. 
because it's just the technology has it, improved a lot and it keeps improving every year. But you, you're not going to be able to get 50% of vehicles um, sold as electric vehicles by 2030. We don't even have enough rare earth mi- minerals to go into producing that many batteries. But if you're just and just picture right now when you trade in your old EV battery, most of them are just going to warehouses or si- and sitting in warehouses until we perfect technology to dispose of them. Amazing. Um, and that those chemicals can leach into the groundwater. We're yeah. we're, we're sitting on potential Superfund sites that we're creating today that are going to plague us for the next generation if we don't do something about it. It's just insane. Um, I've been talking to a lot of prominent uh, conservatives, Republicans, and one of the things that they seem to be gaining uh, agreement on is that it's time for the Republican Party, the conservatives, to have their own clear climate agenda plan. All the elements are there because actually you guys have been talking about it for a year, but it's really pulling it together into a marketing thing. You know, the history of the Republican Party, the Montreal Protocols were under Ronald Reagan. That solved the ozone problem in our, our uh, the largest uh, water in land conservation legislation history occurred on your watch, right, with President Trump. Yeah. So there, there's always elements, Republicans, have, but they get demagogued for a long time. And Newt Gingrich and others say, hey, it's really time now to lock that in, and say, hey, we have a plan. It, you know, it's nuclear. It's all all of the above. It's uh, conservation, private uh, partner, public private partnerships. Uh, do you think that going into the 22, 2024 election, having a, you know, a conserving America contract with America, that lays out all the uh, many conservative ideas that are out there for the environment, that that could really maybe help balance the debate in America? I think so, because there are a lot of great ideas on protecting, preserving the environment for all Americans. You know, we we launched a lot of them during the Trump administration. You know, it's it's important um, to focus on community-based environmentalism, where people live, getting these Superfund sites cleaned up where people live. You know, I just saw some polling data the other day that said that you know, asked people, what are you more concerned about, clean air and clean water or climate change? It was 61 percent yeah. are more concerned about clean air and clean water. And, you know, Republicans, Republican governors, you know, you look at what um, Governor DeWine is doing in Ohio and getting the great, you know, getting Lake Erie and the Great Lakes cleaned up. You look at what Governor DeSantis is doing in Florida yeah. on the Everglades. You know, we we have some Republican governors that are doing great things on the environment, and it's a different approach. It's not the command and control approach that the Democrats have favored over the last few decades. And it's, you know, it's more working with people. Um, People want a clean environment. You you know, we work with the farmers. I I invited for, for our discussion on Waters of the U.S., I had the presidents of all 50 farm bureaus from all 50 states at the EPA headquarters. Most of them had never been invited to the EPA before. If a farm group came into D.C., I offered to meet with them. If I didn't, my staff did. And I, every single meeting, people would say, we've never been in this building before, and we've never been invited by the EPA to come here. And just how grateful they were to be part of the discussion, because they are the solution. And they're, you know, they're not just part of the solution. They are the solution. Farmers um, are the first conservationists, and they don't want to do anything to disturb the land because they that's how they make their livelihood. Um, so it's working with people um, in the communities where they live. And you're right, you mentioned nuclear, I think. Um, it's all of the above. Nuclear energy yep. has to be part of the solution um, for, for getting to a cleaner environment. But it's also, it's also fossil fuels. We're gonna be dependent on fossil fuels 
um, probably for the you know for the rest of my lifetime at least. Um, and I'm not planning on going anywhere anytime soon. Um, so we're, we're going to be dependent <laughs> on fossil fuels, and yeah. we can make it cleaner. And we have. Coal-fired power plants today are 95% cleaner than they were 30, 40 years ago. Natural gas, we've reduced methane emissions 15%. You know, part of what is in the Biden framework is a potential tax on methane. That's a tax on natural gas. Natural gas companies don't want to, you know, that leak natural, to leak methane because they're getting, that's their product, what they're selling. So it's much better what our approach was to work with the small, medium-sized companies to figure out how to um, in- decrease their emissions, right. how to make sure that they're capturing all their methane. And when we have, when we produce natural gas here, and that's that's probably the the biggest difference I have, and I have a lot of differences with the, with the Biden approach, is he's really trying to discourage the the um, exploration and production of natural gas here in the United States. We do it much cleaner than anywhere else in the world. We're going to be continuing to use natural gas, and if we don't um, access our resources here in the United States. We will be shipping natural gas from other countries, such as Russia, which New England has done in the past. There is a tanker from Russia in the Boston Harbor just a couple years ago full of natural gas. When you transport natural gas halfway around the world, that's a huge carbon footprint, just that transportation alone. Sure is. But then you put on top of it that we produce our natural gas in a much cleaner, environmentally sensitive manner than any of our international competitors. There's just no comparison at all. We need to use our energy here that we have. We need to continue to be energy dominant. And I think that's part of a positive news story and part of a positive message to the American public. They want cheaper fuels. They want cleaner fuels. And we can produce both here in the U.S. Yeah, it's such an important thing. And I think pulling that together into an individual plan uh, will be um uh, I think one of the historic things that happened next year, because the Republicans and conservatives have a lot of ideas, innovation, public-private partnership, uh, as you said, community-based environmentalism, which I think it's lost in there. And uh, it's going to be really interesting to watch. A lot of the conservatives I talk to think that this is the uh, this next period of time is when it gets pulls into, uh, you know, much like the, uh, the contract of America was with Newt Gingrich, a moment to really show that there are the ideas to compete with the left and they're more friendly to the uh, economy while also making the same progress on environmentalism, which is is such an important thing. Um, as we look forward uh, the next year, what do you think? I'll just ask the last question. What do you think is the big environmental challenge for America that Joe Biden and the Democrats and the Congress aren't yet addressing? And where, where's the missed opportunity the next year? Oh, well, there are a lot of missed opportunities. You know, I, I think, you know, I said this in a speech um, three years ago at the Wilson Center. I think water is the biggest environmental problem plaguing the planet today. When you got a million kids dying from lack of potable drinking water yeah. worldwide, and that's a crisis. Um, here in the United States, we have a huge, and the industry doesn't like me to say this, but we have a huge recycling crisis. We need to do a much better job on recycling products, including plastics. But, you know, we, we actually recycle less now than we did 20 years ago. And I highlighted that. We had three recycling summits at the agency over the last three years. National Recycling Day is in November. I haven't heard if they're going to have a, a summit yet or not this year. Um, I think, unfortunately, they're focusing solely on climate, which is what the Obama administration did. And the Obama administration let everything else go. You know, they didn't focus on, on water issues. They didn't focus on Superfund. They didn't focus on permitting. We dealt with their backlog 
So I, I think that the biggest thing is you have to look at all the environmental issues as a whole, comprehensively. And the problem with the left and the problem with the Obama administration and from what I've seen so far from the Biden administration is that they are solely focused on climate change at the expense of everything else. And we need, we, there's a lot of um, environmental issues out there, a lot of waste issues, more water bodies need to be cleaned up and, and certainly on the air. But we've done a lot. We need to recognize our accomplishments and build off of them. And that's what I've been trying to do for the last 30 years of my career. Yeah, the, the numbers you gave us at the beginning of this interview really show what progress looks like. A lot of people talk about progress, but achieving it is the key. And and you see the sort of things that happen, whether it's on the lead and copper in, in um, uh, urban water areas or, or water districts, the, the, the reduction in overall emissions. The last two or three years of the Trump administration were really significant. And um, telling that story seems to be a very important part of uh, the next uh, the next few years to show that these ideas really work. So absolutely, and at the, with the American First Policy Institute, we're going to be putting forward these these policy ideas and messaging. And I encourage all your all your listeners to um, take a look at what we're doing. Yeah, it's such an incredible resource. I, I turn there almost every day because there's just something. There's well, first off, there's you couldn't have a more all star cast than what's that AFPI. I mean, every major thinker in the conservative movement has a role there, and. And uh, but this area is going to be particularly interesting because I think it's a growth area uh, among the electorate for Republicans because there's just so many ideas that are, are now bubbled forward into a very comprehensive solution, which you carried out at EPA. So very exciting, Andrew. Uh, how do people follow your work? What's the best way to follow what you're doing? At the American First Policy Institute website. So I, I would certainly follow us there and follow what we're doing. Great. And it's a lot of great initiatives and great ideas. Yeah, absolutely. And your Twitter is really good. I, I, I check your Twitter a lot just because you always find like the China thing this morning or in the last day or so really important to step back. I think being able to look at the big picture, people get caught down in all of the little battles, but the big picture things like what China's doing are often get lost. And uh, how do people follow you on Twitter? Well, you can follow me at American First Policy Institute. I also have my own um, Twitter, which is Andrew R. Wheeler, but um, either place. Great. I, I link to both. Yeah, that's outstanding. It's, a, it's a, a Twitter account I check often. So, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to get you back because there's so much exciting stuff going on at FBI. But thank you for giving us so many thoughts today and so much time. And I know everyone's going to appreciate what we learned today. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, John. All right, sir. Folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll wrap things up for the day. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home? isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. 
All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. Thank you for tuning in today. Big thanks to Andrew Wheeler for giving us so much time and reminding us that there is a conservative alternative on climate change, on the environment. It has a track record. It has data. It has measurements of progress. It has a reduction in regulatory burdens, but also while achieving gains in the environment. And it seems to me and all the people I'm talking to that the beginnings of a conserving America contract with America could be in the offing for the 2022-2024 races. Very interesting thing. You heard Andrew speak about that. We're very grateful that he was able to to join us and spend so much time. I'm glad to get him on. He's a really important voice in the environmental movement and uh, was in the pressure cooker and came out to really, really show people what it looks like. All right. Something really important. Donald Trump is out there today talking about Mark Zuckerberg and his Zuckerbucks. Remember where you heard those first, right here at Just the News. Last November, we were one of the first news agencies in America to really illuminate what Mark Zuckerberg was doing with all that money, important stuff. All right, folks, we're going to wrap things up for the day. And when we come back tomorrow, we're going to have some more breaking news, some more investigative stuff, some more great guests. But until then, I'll keep you up to date 24-7 on justthenews.com. So we'll be back tomorrow with another big podcast. We're really excited about it. Got some great guests and I think some investigative news to share with you in the morning about the border and about vaccine mandates and their extraordinary potential impact on our great military, the fighting men and women of the U.S. Armed Forces. Until then, may God bless you and may God bless this extraordinary country, the United States of America, as he always has. You've been listening to John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News.